Hi, I'm Katie Walker, and this is Monumental, a small show about the big things God does in the lives of ordinary people. After a fairly lengthy hiatus from the show, I'm happy to be back bringing you more stories of God's amazing work in the lives of ordinary women. I hope to release an episode every other month through the end of this year and continue into next year, Lord willing. You might remember that my co-host, Amy Molina, moved a couple years ago to Greenville, South Carolina. Well, I had the opportunity to visit her this year, and while we were together, we decided to jump on the chance to sit down together again and interview an amazing woman in the church there, Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Well, today we'll be hearing from this remarkable Titus II woman. Sandy Foltz served her husband by loving and caring for him through his slow and difficult onset of dementia, all the way through his final days. And then she shares God's work in her life through her new calling of being a widow. We were both involved in a parachurch organization, the Navigators. So after years of having been with the Navigators, they sent me to West Virginia University to experience a collegiate ministry. That's where I met my husband. I moved in on a Wednesday, and the girl that was my roommate, hadn't met her till that Wednesday, had invited my husband to, or my my husband had invited Chuck to come. He was called Charlie back then, so it's a little bit confusing here. (laughs) He was called Charlie. Um, But he was in dental school. He was in his last year of dental school. And I was not at the university. I was working with people from the university, Mm -hmm. so I just had a regular 40-hour job. There he came for for dinner, and we sat. And um, by the end of the evening, I thought, oh, my word, he is like so handsome. <laughs> but but his love for his family was very, very attractive to me. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he just grieved over his sin. You could tell mm-hmm. that pretty quickly. And it was very evident that he was a growing Christian. Mm-hmm. Those three things were mm-hmm. very, very attractive. Mm-hmm. So we were, we knew each other then for two years. Um, and w- when you're involved in parachurch, you do everything together. So we mm-hmm. saw each other three or four times a week. But um, the last six months of knowing him, um, he asked if we could court to decide if we would were to be married or not. Mm-hmm. He had started a residency in the Air Force, so he was um, at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And we tried it long distance for mm-hmm. three months and decided you can get along with anybody if you're not together yeah, <laughs> very much yeah, true. so he asked me to move to where he was and he got me an apartment I lived up above a, an elderly woman I lived and we were three months um, courting so at the end of three months we had a date where we were going to uh, decide whether we were going to marry or not and I do love wow. to tell this because yeah. it's absolutely hilarious he was <laughs> he was uh, younger than I was and uh, <laughs> we were sitting there talking about whether we were to be married or not. And he said, well, if I wanted to get married right now, it would probably be a good idea to marry someone older than I am. (laughs) What a way to win. If I I wanted to wait to get married, I could marry somebody my own age. And (laughs) and I looked at him and I said, are you asking my advice? Right, right. (laughs) And he said, no, actually, I'm proposing. <laughs> <laughs> well, sweep me off my feet. <laughs> I know it was it was memorable, oh, very very funny. memorable. <laughs> so um, we talked with my folks afterwards, and he was getting ready to go um, overseas in the Air Force. He had to pay back his one year residency, 
and he was going to England for three years. Hmm. So I thought, well, we'll get married when he has his first leave. But my mom said, no, we can pull together a wedding in six weeks. Wow. So we we were married six weeks later. I was oh, wow. 31 at the time, okay. and he was 27 okay. when we when we got married. So we had a three-year wow. honeymoon in England. Yeah. That nice. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was great. Not, it was not great. a bad start. <laughs> yeah. Had our first child in England, Chuck, and um, pregnant with our second child. But at eight months, we moved back stateside and had our second son, William, and then... Uh, Four years later, we had our baby, Andrew. So we have three boys. Three boys. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We were going to start a, a private practice in dentistry okay. then. So he was done with military at that he time. He was done with military. Got his school, yeah. did mm -hmm. his payback. Okay. and So we came back to uh, West Virginia then at the time and had our third son in West Virginia. Um, he, we, we did really well in private practice. Uh, we had a lot of consultants helping us, mm -hmm. um, but we didn't enjoy it. And and then after five years, when we mm -hmm. finally made a profit, which was very good, mm -hmm. um, after five years, they slapped a new tax on on healthcare, mm -hmm. and we we're like. We do not want to start over again. Yeah, so we yeah. became independent contractors, which is okay. unusual for dentists because people are used okay. to their dentists being right. there long term. Yeah. But it gave him a lot of freedom to do some of the things he was interested in doing. And on yeah. down the road, mm. he became a doctor of integrative medicine, learning things through through dentistry, learning how to do wow. biological dentistry, which cool. is a different kind of dentistry. So wow. it, it, you know, you had to yeah. be fairly independent to be able to do yeah. that. To be so. able to go something so right. narrow oh, and specific. Right. Exactly. Wow, yeah. Interesting. Exactly. So, so we had been married. We... Um, we were married a total of just over 38, 38 years, but at about halfway into that is when I started noticing some changes in him. Mm. It was hard to explain to other people, but it was not hard for me to recognize mm. because it was not the man that I married. Mm. He was quick to repent mm. and change his ways. Mm. And that was the major change was mm -hmm. he would say he was sorry for things and he wouldn't change anything. Mm -hmm. And he would just be sorry, 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 sorry. So for the rest of his life then, he did not repent of anything. And realizing later that it was dementia, that was the reason why. Mm -hmm. He just was unable what you mm -hmm. fell in love with him was because he was exactly so quick to repent. That's he really had such a tender conscience mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. things. He did. My the, our three boys have a very tender conscience too. Mm -hmm. So I do believe they got that from their father. Mm -hmm. And he oh, he just loved to learn, loved to grow, loved to understand things. Um, a lot of that did not change. But mm -hmm. um, to hear it said, it's not going to sound like much of anything. But he would say, you know. I'll meet you there, and he wouldn't. He wouldn't. He wouldn't be there. Mm. He had forgotten. Mm. Or um, they had a lot of policies and systems protocols that they used in the office, mm. and um, he wasn't following through on them, even though they were his ideas and whatnot. Mm -hmm. It was for, it was a type of forgetfulness that's not abnormal for a lot of people, mm. okay. but the fact that he wouldn't acknowledge it, he wouldn't. 
Mm. He'd be sorry about it, but he wouldn't do anything to change it mm. at all. Mm-hmm. It's, it's even hard to think about now because it was so hurtful. It's just very hurtful. Yeah, yeah. And if you were to talk to especially our oldest son, um, it affected him most because he would have been a teenager at mm-hmm. the time. And the distancing that happened, the inexplicable distancing that happened, was hurtful to us all. We couldn't explain. Yes. Yeah. 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 And he recognized it and didn't understand it and took it personally. Well, we all did. Yeah. You know, right. I did too. So he understood that, that there was something wrong that did he understand that he was being forgetful did he understand oh my husband yeah yeah do you know he never he mm. i i say that i say that um i f- i found out later that as he talked to some of his guy friends he would say things like i don't think my brain works as well as it does mm-hmm. but no i he never i never heard him say anything and when we had neurological appointments and all these other appointments he wouldn't he he never admitted to anything yeah. like that well, he couldn't remember specific examples of things that yeah it's yeah. like i mean it would be so hard to know like oh well this is something i forgot or right. <laughs> like how oh do you even, yeah, yeah yeah not that not that at all and when you yeah. tried to spell it out yeah to him you always look like the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I always look like the ugly one because I was like, but hon, you know, you said you would and then you didn't. And and yeah. it, it just sounded like I was so nitpicky and nagging. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't our relationship. We had, we right. had, because we were some, you know, slightly older getting married and, and, and we had, I don't know, we had some good training in how to fight fair. We, mm-hmm. we fought very fairly mm-hmm. about things and, and it wasn't fair now. It was, yeah all on me and not on him at all. Mm. And that's very frustrating. And yet he was so sweet and kind about it. Mm. You know? <laughs> so, but those were... Which is uh, where you said he would say sorry, but not repent. Because yes. he could say sorry right there in the moment when you guys were talking. He felt the, you know, he, he, felt and he would, he would even say, you know, I'm very sorry that that, that hurt you. I'm yeah. very sorry that I hurt you. I'm very sorry that that was hurtful. Yeah. Those kind of things. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we all, we all have our antenna up for those kind of things. Right. right. You know? That yes. was not his pattern. Like, how did you go from that to something has to be wrong or something else has to be wrong? How did that? No, that took years for me. Okay. Too, because it wasn't, it was a, a couple years until I asked, could we please talk with our, the, our pastor and the elders okay. about it. So mm. for me, it was a marital problem. That mm. you did think. Right. Okay, and I was the help. one that was losing my temper, and I was the one mm. that was yelling, and I was the one that was just so angry. Right. Mm. And, uh, and and even then, I later I was scared, yeah. but, which sure. made me angry. You know, I, yeah. it, for we women, when we're scared, we get angry. Mm-hmm. It shows up as anger, but it's actually yeah. fear. And um, when you realize it is a dementia, you will never win another argument. <laughs> and you just have to learn to live with that. And, you know, it, it can no longer be a goal in your life to win. be the most logical person or be the one that has the last say. Yeah. None of those things. And and you learn they're not important anyway. But mm. but anyway, that, that was a very hard thing because I would just spell mm. things out to him and lay it out how how it all happened and couldn't he see his part in it and everything and mm-hmm. and uh, and he was fairly unaffected by it which was very hurtful also because yeah. yeah. that was not a usual response he was usually very understanding about things so yeah. that was that was pretty difficult yeah you mentioned you started going to doctor appointments 
and had neurological appointments stuff, but nothing was quite figured out. Nothing showed up. How, so how long of a period of time was it that you started going to doctors before you got answers? Oh, 11 years. Wow. Yes. Wow. The doctor's appointments were not all that helpful, mm, but they yeah. also, they don't, to this day, they don't know what causes dementia. Yeah. They really don't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah. So the uh, so no answers from the doctors. No answers from the doctors with the marriage counseling. Was it very helpful? And that's what that's what you know (laughs) talking with the pastor that led to marriage counseling. And no, once again, I was the ugly one. (laughs) Yeah, I was the one that was you know just trying to nitpick and just too focused on whatever so because hmm. the the people at work were were very kind but you know we were all in the dark on yeah. what was what going was on happening. so so there was that but policies and systems is a good way to run any kind of a business because then the policy or system gets blamed instead of a person and you just when you learn something then you then you change it so yeah. that's a that's a good way of approaching things well he he was Violating. I was one. One example was that he would study. He would study for the patient that was coming in, and his um, his assistant would come in and tell him who was there, what was going to be done, update him on everything. And he'd walk in and he'd say hello, and then he'd say, "Oh, now what are we going to do today?" Well, that was yeah. not the policy. The policy was everyone knows what was happening that day. Yeah. It had already. I mean, because it was been. a whole. It was a whole system of. You know, f- wh- why the finances worked out the way they did. They knew what they were paying for. So everything mm-hmm. had been discussed. They'd gone through, they'd gone through multiple people to get to this appointment. And then mm-hmm. he comes in almost acting like they didn't know what was going on that day. And it made the assistants look bad. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, they, they didn't blame the doctor. They blamed the assistants, you know. <laughs> so okay, they would yeah. get really oh, furious right. with him. Yeah. They, and how did he respond to them? I'm sorry. How did he? Res- oh, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So as some of these policy systems started falling apart because of Chuck, um, he was let go. I, you know, I can't mm-hmm. say let go because we're independent contractors. Right. But he was asked to not Step work down. there anymore. Yeah. the The patients themselves didn't really notice any difference. He was he was well loved, well liked because he had a great personality, great bedside yeah. manner with, with yeah. people. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went into, um, there was a dentist in town that suddenly, suddenly overnight died, and he took over his practice for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Well, those assistants and staff didn't know him, so anything he would do right. there would seem quirky if it yeah. was at all odd, but he was such a good dentist. Mm-hmm. He was a good dentist till the day he quit doing mm-hmm. dentistry. Mm-hmm. He really was. And it was a year and a half, and then he turned that practice around completely. I mean, it was a good practice to begin with, but he brought in more production. Mm -hmm. And by the time the wife sold the dental practice, she got more money than she would have from when her husband was Mm -hmm. doing it. So that meant his partner from the previous practice said, hmm, we must have been wrong about it. So he was invited back. Oh, interesting. But that only lasted about a year and a half because then it was very evident that he was not keeping up with things. And people were starting to think there's maybe something 
medical going yeah, on then, here. Yeah, then there was, because then the conversation was what's wrong with him, not mm-hmm. why is he behaving yeah, this way, yeah, but what's yeah, wrong right. with mm-hmm, him. Mm-hmm. And, and by then, we were we were in a, a lot of doctor's appointments. Okay. Right in there, too, strangely enough, is when he went to school to become a doctor of integrative medicine. But mm-hmm. I noticed, I noticed during that, so he's taking in a lot of new information, mm-hmm. and he's, he was an absolute genius, photographic memory. Mm-hmm. And so he's... He's way above everybody else. Right, <laughs> I mean, right, most people. Right. And and what he takes in and forgets, the rest of us never got in the first place. So it was a little. <laughs> it's you so know. hard to keep somebody it's, like it's that. Really it's really hard. <laughs> so here he was getting this and taking in new information and just liking it and everything. But I noticed he was not demonstrating that information. He was not mm. demonstrating mm. that he knew it the way that I knew he would, but. He pulled it off. He pulled it off and graduated. But as I listened to his, you know, when he defended his dissertation, I was like, that was not good. That, Mm -hmm. you know, that was not my husband. Mm -hmm. That is, he would have done. And, and he rambled on for, and, and didn't conclude it. He never concluded it, but he did, he put so much in there that they, past him you know but i'm like that was poorly done that was poorly put together and uh which sounds like a really just overly critical wife yeah it doesn't it though doesn't it but but i know and i know right now you have 2020 vision on on it but yeah you even then were like this is just not right 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 this is not like my husband and his character so now we're getting into you know he's back to his what I call his primary practice. We really loved it there. We, we intended to just retire in that practice. And he intended to practice till he was in his seventies. But um, when we went, when we went back and it didn't work out, then we became underemployed and unemployed. There was even one year where we only had 42 days where he worked because mm-hmm. we would just fill in for dentists and stuff. So okay. now finances get involved. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, oh. But the recommendation from, from everyone was that we be employed. Well, we had few options at that point because we were seeing so many doctors and getting no results. The doctor's appointments were, you know, CAT scans and MRIs and, and mm-hmm. things like that. We, we didn't get a lot of and they don't. A baseline one and a comparative mm-hmm. one is about mm-hmm. all you need. And they didn't, they didn't show anything. Right. So the last time he practiced dentistry, we went to a rural, very small practice in uh, Virginia. And everyone there knew we were having difficulty, but he still came highly recommended by all these doctors he'd worked for. Mm. And, but, you know, I told him up front what we were dealing with. We didn't know, but we were, we were seeing all kinds, we did all Mm. kinds of strange things. So they supported him. I mean, they, they were just, they covered up for any of the, and they didn't have the, you know, it was a small practice, so yeah. it was really nice. But so they, they were real sweet about it and willing, wanting to be they helpful. They were very, they were very sweet. Really yeah, I can't say they got close to us, but they worked with us. They yeah. definitely did, and yeah. and they knew they knew how to come alongside him and help. I do, I do appreciate them. Mm-hmm. Do appreciate them. How a lot. old were your kids at this throughout um, this time? You know, so it would be seventeen, fifteen, and ten. Are okay. the are when I remember they that we really like recognized they were losing their dad. Okay. Now we didn't have a diagnosis, but something had changed. Something was changing enough right. that their dad was not. By the, the same. time we actually got a diagnosis, they two 
two were married and okay. and one uh, they were all working on out working on their own they'd been to the right. university okay. and everything and they were out working so, so earlier you had started mentioning the effect it had on bo- your boys yes. and their relationship with him so what was that like oh that was so sad mm, cuz sure. they oh you know i love to hear when they talk about their dad now mm. and the things they remember I don't know, you know, how you guys are as mothers, but I gave myself a lot of credit for raising great boys, (laughs) (laughs) only to discover (laughs) that their dad did a good portion of it. (laughs) I know. So they talk about, oh, this was from dad, and that was from dad. Their love of their love of learning. They, um, they, I think they got their love of learning from their dad, and they got their. I call it a lack of ego, and I don't know if that sounds mm. well, but he, my yeah. husband had very little ego. Mm. He did not mind if, you know, he was the one that got the attention. He he liked he mm. liked to speak with people that knew mm. knew what they were about and learn from them, and it didn't mm. have to be all about him at all. And I find that very true of, of all my sons, mm. all our sons also, that, the, you know, ego doesn't get in the way with That's a lot sweet. of things. And and oh, they'll talk. They they would sit and talk with their dad and all these things that he was learning in the Reformed faith. We were mm-hmm. still pretty much babies in the Reformed faith as we started having children. So right. our children grew up. We weren't we weren't much ahead of them, but mm-hmm. they are. They're all a lot like uh, like their dad. How were you processing all of this before getting a diagnosis spiritually? What what? was going on between you and you God know, and having all of this happen in your marriage. You know? I kept up with my little routines, you know, um, just uh, so thankful for the habits of, you know, Bible reading, Bible study, church attendance, prayer, prayer meetings, mm-hmm. kept up with all those things, kind of not realizing I was distancing from God as I was mm-hmm. doing those things. Mm-hmm. So here, when we end up in this little Virginia dental practice, mm-hmm. which is where everything now kind of comes to a head, mm-hmm. uh, because what he started doing, what we discovered, we discovered in the middle of all this, that he had celiac disease, which could oh. of itself explain his dementia. Celiac, really? undiagnosed celiac, will not only kill you, but on the way to dying, it will uh, it, it will cause Causes brain damage. To- yeah, because oh. it's a... F- failure to absorb any nutrition at all and he was down to two percent body body fat so he had nothing to work with there so that in and of itself could so we flipped Mm. to the whole gluten-free thing and and changed all that and then had to deal with a lot of the you you lose your uh, ability to be immune to things and so we're looking at parasites and mold and all kinds of stuff now that was allowed in because of it. So we're getting, I'm getting excited because I'm like, oh yeah, one of these things is going to be it. It wasn't, but one of these things is going to be it. Uh, But in uh, dental wise, he never harmed a patient, which was my constant prayer. Mm-hmm. But what happened was if a, a procedure required 100 steps, he would do 75 of them and not e- forget the last 25. But he would do them in order up to 75. Mm-hmm. And then the girls would say, but you're not done. He goes, yes, I am. And they could not convince him mm-hmm. that he was done and that was it. And uh, 
Thankfully, in this little, little practice, which he took from the red, got him in the black financially, they were able to hire a second dentist because it was a group practice. And uh, that's when that's, he, the, the other dentist came in and finished his work for him. Mm. So, he just did the last 25 steps. Do the last 25 wow. and put the crown mm. on or, you know, glue the crown on, that kind of thing. Um, mm. so, so at that point in my relationship with the Lord, I thought that stoicism was a fruit of the Spirit. I became mm. very stoic. I was going mm. to outweigh God on this one because something was going very wrong in this picture I had of how mm. my married mm. life should be, what it is mm-hmm. to, you know, to be married to this man, both of us Christians, because it wasn't looking like, it wasn't working like it was supposed to work, mm. and I wasn't seeing anything that was going to change it. So mm-hmm. I would I would get up in the morning and I would open my Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and I would, you know, just, just kind will of yourself challenge through. God yeah. that I'm in your word. Mm. You know. Mm-hmm. And but um those those I noticed that I mean later I noticed yeah, that yeah, about sure. myself. Right. And then thankfully we were in a, a, a good little reformed church and the prayer meetings were good. The teaching was tremendous, especially mm. the Wednesday night teaching before the prayer meeting was mm. very good. So it was keeping me in the Word, keeping mm. me with God's people. And it was, it was a comfort without me really asking God yeah. for it. I don't know yeah. if that... For comfort. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't asking God for anything. Yeah. I was waiting. Yeah. I was just waiting. Were you God. able to talk to ladies at church or others at church about what was going on or had you kind of reached a point where people just couldn't understand and you were looking like the nagging well, wife kind of now, thing <laughs> now i wasn't looking so now i was looking at the crying i was the crying woman mm-hmm. <laughs> but they at this point i didn't see any reason not to let people know so mm-hmm. everyone knew okay and they were they were sweet they came mm-hmm. around me and they, at that point it was pretty clear there was definitely something medical going on right. here. Yes. We just didn't know what it was yet. Right. Yeah. The, okay. Because we were in Virginia now, this was a sister church. It was a church plant from our the main one we had been at. So there was an overlap of people. Okay. So they Thank knew. You. And by now, people could tell a difference between mm-hmm. What, how they remembered mm-hmm. him and how not. Mm-hmm. So even without a diagnosis, we were, you know, we were starting to get a lot of support. Then, when he was not completing his work, I said, yeah. "We're going to take a sabbatical." And really, and I so I asked him if we could have a um, sabbatical that, that was on a Thursday. And our second son, uh, our first son, got married first. Our third son got married second. So it was mm-hmm. the second wedding, and we finished work on that Thursday and I asked for a sabbatical and our our son got married that weekend. Ah, <laughs> it's a good time. And, like, and I'm sitting there going, I just cut off our source of money oh. <laughs> by, by asking for this. We have like mm. no income coming in. Kind of hits uh, you in the face in yeah, the wedding, right? As a matter of fact, it's <laughs> yeah. really sad and I halfway don't want my voice to hear it, but their weddings were all difficult. All three of them were very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. The two, because we didn't know the diagnosis, and it was very frustrating having their dad mm-hmm. just kind of wander around so mm-hmm. so uninvolved. Uh, the third one, we did know the diagnosis, but of course the behavior hadn't changed. We just knew then to assign people to, to watch over him. 
was he fearful at all? I mean, was there any level of recognizing for him later what was happening? His final diagnosis, final diagnosis was frontal temporal, okay. which, in my understanding, is one of the most gracious forms of dementia. Although it starts at a young age, it's mm. it's you know mm. it usually affects younger, uh, but it 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 takes away the ability some some words. It takes away the ability to work with numbers, but it doesn't change your personality drastically. So yeah. he was still, he was still kind. He was still, he still had hope. He still had faith. You know, he had mm-hmm. those kind of things. And but he was aware that there were some things different or things that he was struggling with or. But no, he wasn't. No, he, wasn't he wasn't aware. Yeah. But now yeah. later on, paranoia and okay. he didn't have hallucinations or anything, but he would be very fearful of things. And that was kind of a primary oh, thing okay. to deal with. We we took the sabbatical. We never went. We never went back to work after mm. that. And um, I, I can't think of the. We, uh, we, you know, I had to sell vehicles. I had to sell. We sold our home, mm. and we moved in with our uh, our middle son. He was the only unmarried one, and we li- we ended up living with him for a year and a half. And while we were there, mm. of course, we have no income coming in now. Mm-hmm. And I start applying for disability. Uh, one of our early arguments before before he even exhibited anything with dementia was how much insurance we had to have as a medical as medical right, people right and he kept getting these disability policies and I'm like "Hun, we can't afford them and he got them anyway mm-hmm. and guess what we lived on oh. <laughs> uh, so I started um, applying for the disability um, income and None of them would immediately, because we didn't have anything. We didn't have any diagnosis. We just had my word on whatever, you know. And so one of them said, we we have to have some. And they scheduled a neuropsychological exam at a a medical facility in Georgia. It was an all-day thing, 830 to 4. And we went. They couldn't keep him seated all the way through it. He was, you know, now demonstrating some, you know, inability to be attentive and Focus what, and, and focus exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we we took that and uh, got got the got the results within a couple days and got the disability income in two weeks, Whoa. which is unheard of. Oh. Disability income, Social Security stuff doesn't Takes come for months. Oh, wow. But this was, and it was actually just a, a cognitive impairment, and then um, probably leading to frontal temporal dementia. Mm-hmm. Well, for anybody that knows it, it's like inevitable that it's mm-hmm. going to be frontal temporal dementia. So even though it's a, a you know, just cognitive impairment that's, at the mm-hmm. moment, that's meaningful, mm-hmm. but but it's the not going to reverse. Yeah, yeah, the end, uh, that's where it's leading. So mm-hmm. a very accurate, very accurate wow. diagnosis. Wow. So we get, we get this diagnosis and it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, you know, excited. And sad at yeah, the same time. such a yeah. mix yeah. because to finally yeah. have an answer after what you said, 11 years. Yes. <laughs> something to finally have an to answer. Have an, and so then the we start be learning so. what we can, you know, learning what we yeah. can and what we have to do. And, but we spend, you know, we spend a couple, I, I, we, there's no we now. There's mm. I. <laughs> I spend a couple, a couple years thinking I can reverse it because 
you know. Where is there signs holistic or stuff and integrated yeah. medicine? It's like, oh, we've got something up our sleeve, I'm sure. So mm-hmm. we visited tons and tons and tons of his colleagues from from the medical school that he went to. We traveled just all over the place, Washington, D.C. and, mm-hmm. you know, Baltimore, Maryland. We just went all, all over the place and they, you know, discovered this and maybe this and whatnot. And, and then we would do just all kinds of treatments and stuff for it. And um, it was fine. We had a, a Christian man that had sold us our, our best disability uh, policy. And he sat down with us. So, you know, we now have to put a lot of things in my name with Chuck's mm-hmm. diagnosis. Right. And um, I was saying what we'd been involved in. And he just said, it's, it's not going to reverse You've got mm-hmm. to, you've got to stop. It's, you know, it's not going to reverse. And so I went on a little bit longer. But um, mm-hmm. when we was moved, that, what was that as hard for you as? Oh well, I mean, yeah. not anything, oh, but word. you know, oh, it was because that was sort of Hearing some hope final. you were holding on to. It seemed like I waited yeah, all those it would years. Be final, yeah, yeah, waited all those years to find out what it was, so yeah. that I could do something about it. Yeah, yeah, right. and right. get there, and it's like. There's no, anything nope. you can do about it. Wow. So, uh, so I still fussed with it. Uh, in the meantime, we moved to the upstate here in South mm-hmm. Carolina. Um, um, all, all three of the boys were in the vicinity. Mm-hmm. And we determined that we could still live on our own. And he still presented. If you all had met him at this point, you wouldn't have thought anything wrong with him at all. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, yeah. It's jumping ahead a little bit. But mm-hmm. as I was caring for him in his you know final years, um, he went to a day center, mm-hmm. and they had to watch because visitors that were coming in mm-hmm. would think he w- they'd walk out, hold the door open, and let him walk right out because he sir. looked right. totally normal. <laughs> yeah. He would even say thank you, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. and he was carrying around books, you yeah. know. So it's like he <laughs> looked, looked like, like he was a man yeah. with a it looked purpose. Like he didn't, and... didn't belong there, but yes. you know, it was it was <laughs> kind of funny. But mm-hmm. we determined that we could live on our own. You know, the boys and I discussed it, and that we could live on our own. So we rented a place for a while. And then we bought a home in a subdivision with uh, our, our oldest son, Chuck, asked that we be very near. His part of it was day-to-day things when okay. I needed help. So he asked if we could live 15 minutes from where he lived. So he found us the home that we, you know, that I'm currently living living in and the home his father died in. And, um, uh, you know, the other boys all have their responsibilities. The middle one takes care of finances, mm-hmm. and the youngest one has to do all the internet searches for um, if we needed a placement for if we ever needed to put him in a place mm-hmm. or needed respite care in a place, or and they had to do all the internet research. So all that. your all three of your boys were very involved and supportive, very involved, very hands on, very yeah. hands on. Yeah, if I did have you know if I took time off. And to give me a break, they would work their schedule so they could stay with their dad. So, but they were very, oh, they could, it's so sweet to remember them taking care of their dad. As you guys were proceeding, you finally had a diagnosis. What, how are you guys thinking about his care? And what, what was the Lord doing in your life also right. in that, in those times? We kept him as involved in everything Mm. as much as we could so as independent as he could be with safety we allowed him and at Mm. first he could walk and find his way home those kind of things Mm -hmm. so we'd give him as much independence as we could and his behavior would give you clues when when he couldn't you know couldn't handle 
the the you know mm-hmm. he did, mm-hmm. w- when he started to get lost. Yeah, mm-hmm. things became different knowing what we were dealing with and the fact that. I didn't have to question whether to blame him or not because mm-hmm. you, at this point, you understood reasoning and logic don't work, mm-hmm. and right. and so you just you have to you have to be in the moment. <laughs> what a thing to learn was to be present in the moment. Mm-hmm. We all say how important that is because mm-hmm. my thing with present in the moment is well, what about planning for the future? <laughs> well, we, yeah. so we throw one away because we think we can only do the other one, and the one we tend to throw away is present in the moment. Mm-hmm. So to be able to learn how to do that through his disease was a blessing of the Lord. Could you give us an example of what that looked like? We'd have to we'd have to watch his behavior, and one of the things that would happen is he couldn't geographically. He had no idea where he was. He had no idea what time of day it was, what season it was. None of those things. So if we'd have the evening news on, and and the first one that that happened was the that there were wildfires in Australia, and they were awful. And he heard it on the news, and his eyes just got fearful. He just, his eyes got wide open and he started panicking and running around, running around the house. We got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. It's not safe. It's not safe. And, you know, I tried a little bit of, it's okay, hon. It's okay. We're safe. We're safe. And he wouldn't settle down. Mm. And so then I, I just said, you're right. You're right. We're not safe. Thank you for noticing. And thank you for wanting to take care. I forget exactly what I said, but I, said, you're right, we've got to do something about it. And we would we got in the car and drove around and then came back home after a while. I really want you to share with us about what happened. You said, you know, you said you were you just kind of turned to stoicism as your fruit yes. of the spirit. So and, and nine, ten, eleven years had passed what was and you you know you finally have a diagnosis and things. What was the Lord doing when yeah when i when and my oldest son actually called me one day because i came up with yet another idea of how to cure him of this dementia and and he said mom could we please just deal with the dementia and admit that it's it's gonna go its course and and it it had been things had been so difficult keeping him keeping him safe keeping him calm and um, protecting him, that I I knew it was exhausting all of us. So I mm. said I said yes, and so then all we had to deal with <laughs> was his dementia, which mm. was a lot. But mm. at this point, things had changed. I began I began calling on God for help and asking specifically for help and praying for. Oh, praying for things like, um, you know, just a lack of jealousy that everyone else, everyone else was living a better life than I was. And I was the only one who was stuck in my house. Interestingly, my husband um, had to be homebound in February of 2020 because he was a fall risk and he couldn't go to a day center anymore. Mm. And in March of 2020, COVID hit and the oh. whole world had to be was homebound. Home. Yes. Wow. And I was probably the only person around that was a little bit happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so difficult. And I would find I would find myself repenting of recognizing, mm. identifying bitterness and mm. envy and anger 
and and whatnot, and um, and then um, with uh, with a person in dementia, they're no they're no less human. They're human beings. You treat them with kindness and and mm-hmm. patience. And you know, I've been a Christian long enough that I know how to behave like a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I know that I can hide it and behave differently at home. Mm -hmm. But with a person with dementia, if you get impatient, the problem escalates. And so you couldn't get impatient. And Mm -hmm. when when you weren't kind, when you were ugly, because there were times when I just lost my temper with something, he would would get scared, but him getting scared was him acting out. Mm -hmm. So I would cause my own problems. And one of the one of the things that I learned was that you know the the scriptures tell us how to behave and we're to behave that way all the time mm-hmm. not just some of the time so one of the things that started going through my mind and was descriptive of of what god did in my life was that as my husband lost his memories i lost my complacency and the important things of the scripture became ever so much more important and applicable mm-hmm. in in everything in just everything so the habits that i had mm-hmm. good habits you know always want to encourage people to have good habits and and then there's a good habit and then there's you know the holy spirit working through those good habits yeah. in your life and and so when i look back on it and i don't know i don't know how it happened i i can take no credit for it it because I, I, I saw a picture of what I looked like mm-hmm. when I was demanding my way mm-hmm. and, and still behaving like a Christian. You know, no one, no one would say I did anything wrong. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't see the ugliness in my heart. But, um, but God, God mm-hmm. changed me. I love mm-hmm. the unchangeable God that yeah. changes me. Mm-hmm. And, and through these circumstances, especially. And I think our three sons would say the same thing that the, their growth, in their Christian walk was accelerated mm-hmm. because of having a father with with dementia. Mm-hmm. We don't have time enough today to talk about how the the church, the mm-hmm. whole church, certainly you know Trinity here in Spartanburg, but the whole church, any Christian that I knew that was in, within my sphere, um, how they came alongside and helped. It was mm-hmm. it was just beautiful. This this church, this church, Chuck couldn't have gone to church as long as he did mm. without all the help that we got here. Mm-hmm. Did the men help? You talked about how he would become, Chuck, your husband would become fearful, you know, even maybe hear something in a sermon that would make him feel unsafe. Yeah. Were the men able to help him feel safe and help you feel like you yes. could come to church? <laughs> yeah, because Chuck went, Chuck went in and out of liking church or not, mm. depending on <laughs> whatever was going on in his head. You yeah. know, you couldn't, you couldn't quite tell. But um, there were times when he would just, he, 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 at, at one point he was sitting pretty much through the sermon and uh, uh, but but he would get up and start wandering toward the front, yeah. <laughs> and, and and the men would just kind of they would they would block his way and they would smile at him, Aww. and so they weren't like get scary back in your seat there, or bodyguards you know, or something. Yeah, they weren't right. bodyguards. Yeah. They would smile at him and they would say, "Hi, Chuck." Let's go this way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Friends greeting so, him in so, the aisle. So, so, yeah. so sweet. Yeah. yeah. So but even in the pew, it was it was comical sometimes. I mean, it was. 
I don't know. Things were so sad, <laughs> but but mm. it was still comical when I think of it. But Pastor Dion would just, you know, do what he does, faithfully preaching through the word. But if he would happen <laughs> to mention a murder in the Bible, there's a few of those, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, <laughs> or or Satan or something right. like that. My husband would get really anxious, and and he would say, "This isn't the good church." <laughs> and, and I would have to tell him. I one time I leaned over and I said, "No, Pastor Dion thinks Satan is a bad guy," and <laughs> and then he would nod and sit there for a while. Agree, but well, okay. but yeah, over time, yeah. over time, he couldn't he couldn't say mm-hmm. it. Take we'd have to come to church early, and it'd take ten minutes to get him in his seat, and then pretty much. He wouldn't sit there much more than five or ten mm. minutes. He would get up, so I would get up and, and make him go to the back of the church instead of, because mm. he always wanted to go up front. And then if he would happen to get up and I'd lead him out the back door, one of the men from the church would pop up and walk out with me mm-hmm. and say, it's okay, I'll walk with him. And I sweet. would go back in and, so and do and do the service. He wasn't able to go to church for the last year and a half of his life. Mm-hmm. He just, it, it became an unsafe place for him right? because of the, the crowds of mm-hmm. people. Yeah. yeah. He actually, as he was in the day center, he lasted there longer because they were people like he was. And he was comfortable there, mm-hmm. and he wasn't as comfortable. The little children started to kind of unnerve mm-hmm. him with, you know, their running the and things like sudden that. Sudden movement. He he would his eyes would dart around, and he was yeah. looking mm-hmm. to be safe. So that's right. when we had to decide that uh, we he couldn't come mm-hmm. to church any mm-hmm. anymore. Which so. must have been. Oh, just heartbreaking for you. That was so 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 sad. Yeah. That was very sad. He. You know, uh, some of the church, or some of the songs that we sang at his funeral were, uh, as a matter of fact, almost all of them were about the church because he loved he loved God's church on earth. Mm-hmm. He he really did. So it was extremely sad. So, so then, um, you know, a year and a half he wasn't able to go to church, and for the for the last uh, about ten months of his life. He wasn't able to go to the day center that he mm-hmm. went to. In all that, we actually um, um, had him assessed for hospice, mm-hmm. and we were assessed to be able to get hospice care, which meant wow. I didn't have to take him to doctors anymore. Oh, my word. They was could just that. come to him. They could come. They would come. It, we had hospice care for two and a half years. Oh, wow. oh such That's a godsend. Yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, Christian, almost all Christian, they became family family to us then and then for the last 10 months he became a fall risk and we were completely homebound um i was really complaining about how my life was so limited Mm -hmm. that um i mean i had to live his life and my life and Mm. i'm like god why would you you know need one person to live two lives you know i can't why'd Mm. you do this and i uh, a lot of lot of problems I had with that, and repented. Still went back to it, and repented, and still went back to it. I'd watch um, another way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> another way no, we know. somebody mm-hmm. would talk about going on a cruise or just even a vacation, and I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't do those things anymore. Ecclesiastes yeah. became my favorite book of the Bible because mm-hmm. all these things that everybody else was doing and I couldn't do anymore are meaningless and vain. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yes. And I learned that. I actually learned that. I learned that because um, I really missed. Um, 
stimulating conversation. My husband yeah. and I yeah. all I mean, had conversations about just absolutely everything. We were very well matched. And and to to lose that mm-hmm. was just so, so sad. And then to be limited to home yeah. because of this, because of this, because, you know, until finally I was literally homebound with him. Yeah. And uh, that was so hard. Yeah, that was, I mean, that's one of the that things. That was very hard. Yeah. And again, that's why you raise your kids, right? Because <laughs> my kid, you know, one of my sons says to me, well, your calling is very clear. And I'm like, Psh. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's not what I wanted I to hear. That you was know? not the response I wanted. I wanted a little sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and now being in widowhood, which is a whole new experience. Yeah. And the calling is like, I mean, it's in the Bible, definitely, but it's a little less, you know, defined mm-hmm. i mean it's like pray all the time i'm like oh no but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know taking care of my husband's like that is it that is so the focus clear. and and you know mm, just yeah. clearing my mind of these things what did i think i would be did i think mm. i'd be what you know <laughs> just person of the year and out speaking to hundreds and thousands mm. it's like what in the world did i think i was going to be doing that would be so public that i you know, am right. unhappy about this. And it's like, I've been content as, you know, mm. a wife and a mother and a, you know, homemaker and being available. I've I've loved those things, you know, I didn't want to give them up. And so why mm. in the world was I complaining? So when he's, mm. when he said that, that gave me, you know, that gave me pause and gave me reason to repent. Oh. Uh, so homebound for the 10 months, having him home all the time was... Very different, very different. Because now he's a fall risk, so now you're worried about him injuring himself. Have to have eyes on him all the time. All the time. Yeah. Seizures are not uncommon, so he had three seizures mm. in his life. And, mm-hmm. you know, the thing you're taught to do is get away so you don't go down with him, and that's well, just counterintuitive yeah, and right. hard, to, hard to watch. He's just weaving his way, just barely, you know, missing things and running into things. You have to rearrange your whole house. You have to take put furniture where you don't want it and but you do it for their safety you have to give up mm-hmm. your marital bed mm-hmm. to put him in a hospital bed and try to snug your bed up as close as you can so mm-hmm. you feel like you're sleeping together you feel close. even yeah. though even though you're not anymore mm-hmm. and some of the sadness some of the sadness a lot of grief you know the they call they call dementia the long goodbye and mm-hmm. it's a it's a grief a very grieving process there that's so. yeah that's just one of the things i've kept thinking about as you've been talking is just some of the loneliness that you oh, would have yeah. felt exactly. you know you think about loneliness when you lose a spouse and the loneliness you must feel as a widow but yeah. mm-hmm. as best i can tell he didn't remember my name he never said my name for at least two years mm-hmm. and uh but if he would catch my eye he would always smile and uh, and then uh, he didn't like to be touched. Not unusual for a person with dementia. Yeah. They don't consider that a safe thing. But there were times when we'd walk by each other, and I'd smile real big at him, and he'd smile back. He had a special little smile, and he'd mm. tap, he'd pat me on the shoulder when I walked oh, by, and no. uh, it was just so so sweet. As a matter of fact, uh, um, the um, day before he lost consciousness, and you know, um, 
died soon after, he smiled. He smiled. Mm-hmm. So it was so sweet. Anytime really? he walked in the room, anytime anybody came in. I mean, he recognized mm-hmm. people as safe or not safe, mm-hmm. even if he couldn't mm-hmm. come up with Categories. names yeah. or anything like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But so I was, I was one person. of his, I was a safe person. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was really, it was really sweet. So for the last four months of his life, he didn't get out of bed at all so mm-hmm. he was four months bedridden wow. and um as sad as it was that was a relief because i knew he wouldn't hurt himself now mm-hmm. and i knew he was safe yeah. <laughs> and in so many ways it was easier to care for him and he kept mm-hmm. just a sweet a sweet attitude about things he he seemed to just react to people being at peace and enjoying each yeah. other it did. He could really um, when that. he lost consciousness, it took him four and a half days to die. And we became convinced that the reason he didn't <laughs> want to die was because he loved being with us and listening because there, yeah. there's yeah. so much yeah. fantastic. I mean, when the family was together and there was family with mm-hmm. there all the time, uh, we were we were remembering things and talking about things and laughing about things. And then we were reading our books and doing our, we were doing everything back yeah. there. And it's like, he didn't want to leave, leave, leave you know? the party. <laughs> We just stayed stayed with him the whole time there, and then his uh, breathing changed one morning, and and then he he died there at home, mm-hmm. which was so so sweet. One other thing, and this just this way backtracks, but one of the things we thought about here at church too was what about sanctification? Is he still being sanctified? Mm-hmm. And we thought yes. He just has his own private line, you know. He just yeah. has his own private relationship. <laughs> so now. Being in a stage of being a widow, what does what does life look like for you now? Mm-hmm. The first year was a total fog. I don't mm-hmm. remember much of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I was well cared for. The second year, able to think through things some, cried more, cried mm-hmm. more the second year. At the end of the first year, I remember thinking on his death date or close to the anniversary mm-hmm. of his death date, I remember thinking, okay, you can come back now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At the mm-hmm. end of the second year, I remember thinking, um, oh my, <laughs> there's a lot of years left to live <laughs> without mm-hmm. him and being sad about the years, the years mm-hmm. to come. How should we be encouraging widows. The Bible tells us we should be loving the widows. How can we best do that? What yeah. did you need? What What do you think yeah. would be the best help? You know, I'm still thinking about it because mm-hmm. um, uh, for a while I didn't even like being called a widow. Now I feel mm-hmm. very honored. But early, early on as, you know, as you're an early widow, um, hugs, lots of hugs and cry and cry right along cry right along with them if you have a question about their husband or marital relationship ask it carefully and see what you get because mm. there are times when you just so want to talk about your husband and mm. then there are times when you don't people will know mm. but keep asking because it does seem that in a year's time you're you're just in the throes of grief and everybody else has continued on with their lives, rightly so, mm-hmm. rightly so. But the feeling, the feeling you mm-hmm. have is that they've forgotten. So you want to encourage them to to tell stories. You you want to always hear the things they learned in their in their married married life. By the 
second or third years, the stories just come popping out and all the, all the things that were sad and hard have become fond memories. They want to talk about it. Hospitality, invite them to everything. Uh, in the case of mm. a woman who's raised, raised their children and are truly alone, they're only one person. <laughs> mm. When you're, <laughs> when you're fixing a meal, think about inviting them over. Or if you're fixing a meal, thinking about setting some aside and taking it to mm. them. Mm-hmm. When you're going to run someplace, can they be invited? Can they be invited along? The ones that don't want to will say no. The ones that want mm-hmm. to will say yes. But mm-hmm. be pretty be pretty creative. Make a beeline to them at the end of the service. Head right over there and not mm-hmm. just the first couple of years. But mm-hmm. from then on, they have become a mentor whether they know it or not. They've, you know, become, mm-hmm. they've experienced something that you know, you haven't, you mm-hmm. haven't yet. Mm-hmm. So there's something to learn from that. And they'll say the things, you know, you come over and uh, I don't know, you know, you might whine about your husband a little bit. <laughs> and they're, you know, they're the ones that'll say, oh, that is not important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they'll just tell you straight up, you know, don't behave like that. Don't think that way. Make sure that they, you save a seat for them at tables so they don't have to look around and wonder where they belong, mm-hmm. wave and Mm-hmm. Come, Come over here. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, are there things maybe now speaking to women who are widows? Are there things that yeah. you have done for yourself or have thought of that could be a help to you in those maybe those nights where it's the loneliness just really hits, or you know where you're you know you're going to be going to an event and you you're mm-hmm. not have your spouse mm-hmm. to go with, or you feel like you might be a third wheel or, you know, some of these different scenarios that could really just trigger trigger right. the grief. Right. And yeah, because that's the other side of it. You know, when you ask about what other people can do, there's also what the widow herself should do and a lot of a lot of initiation, you know. Mm. You need to initiate things. When you're when you realize you're having problems, you have to call out. You have to call out for help. Pay attention to your time. All of a sudden you've got all this time. Mm. It's frightening. Mm. And especially having cared for my husband right. 24-7, right. 365, and then all of a sudden I don't have that job anymore. Yeah. So The uh, calling's know, not so clear Yeah, anymore. the first year was mm-hmm. not a problem. I mean, right. I, was, I was sleeping and I was chronically fatigued for <laughs> 12 months or so. And um, right. But then after that, and um, – Boy, you have to be so diligent that you're not giving yourself permission to do things you already know you shouldn't be doing. I mean, Hallmark movies are so tempting. Mm -hmm. They're comforting. You always know how they're going to end up. And it's Mm -hmm. like very, very comforting. Mm -hmm. And it can become the drug. So you have to watch that. And you know better, but you kind of don't know how to fill up all that time. But begin anticipating some of those things and planning and, uh, and then all of a sudden, my evenings loomed before me, and I thought, whoa. So I thought, well, I'm going to go to bed an hour earlier, and kind of bumped everything up. And it's like, mm-hmm. wow, why didn't I do this sooner? <laughs> so you've just got to be extru- – you've got to be self-aware. Yeah. Self-aware, which is, yeah. you know, Chris- we Christians sh- – should be when the scriptures say take your thoughts captive that means think about what you're thinking about mm-hmm. and pay attention to mm-hmm. where that's going to lead and what you need to do to change it so the self-awareness mm-hmm. is very very important for widows i found myself thinking that i could safely daydream about my husband mm-hmm. create create a past that didn't actually happen mm-hmm. meeting him earlier knowing him longer mm-hmm. 
having times together that we didn't have. And I thought that was safe. I thought, that's not committing adultery. I can do that. Yeah, but it's, it's you know, arguing with God about what mm-hmm. he actually did in your life. And, oh, I was so disappointed that I couldn't <laughs> daydream. And my husband and I did not like high school. <laughs> Both of us hated high school. It was just awful years for us. We would have been so good together. <laughs> We'd been in the same high school and dating. Yes. You know, it's just it, so. Anyway, that was my that was my make believe. Yeah. But um, so you've got to repent of that. You've got mm-hmm. to repent of your daydreams that actually tell God He made a mistake and mm-hmm. and that and and you feel certainly sorry for yourself because I had intended to rack up many many years of marriage mm-hmm. and. Um, and when a friend says, you know, and they've been married for 52, it makes me mad mm-hmm. because I didn't hit 52. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and again, Comparing what are you know. saying to mm-hmm. God when mm-hmm. you when you say that? Yep, mm-hmm. the comparison thing. And, um, oh, dealing with um, evenings at home, mm-hmm. figuring out how to spend your time and mm-hmm. those those times of loneliness. The loneliness is, I mean, honestly... There's nothing quite like marriage. It is just wonderful. And, and you know, the, the Bible says what God has put together, let no man tear asunder. What God doesn't put in that is that he can asunder. And it's like, mm. whoa, he did the sundering. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I got so mad. Mm-hmm. I got mad about that. Why did you sunder something that was so good? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And um, it's, it's his privilege. Mm-hmm. To, to do that, and he does it f- for good reasons, for his glory mm-hmm. and for our good. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, a lot of just same old sinful stuff that I did my whole life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Widowhood doesn't put me in any kind of holier place mm-hmm. <laughs> in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I do. I do miss. I do miss being married. I've had an increased interest in, um, heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reading um, The Saints Everlasting Rest by a mm-hmm. Puritan and finding great encouragement in that. Mm-hmm. It's We have a hint of what it's going to be like mm-hmm. from, from relationships on earth, and it's going to be better than it. I mean, if we are not going to have marriage in heaven, God's going to top it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that amazing? Is that amazing? That's great. That's amazing. And so it's like, Wow, what is that going to be like? Yeah. You know, and the the relationships we're going to have up there, I can't, I just can't imagine. Yeah. But I believe, I believe it's going to be. I, I don't know. After face to face with Christ, mm-hmm. you know, anything after that, I don't care. This episode of Monumental was hosted by Katie Walker and Amy Molina. It is produced and edited by Katie Walker, and it is executive produced by Nathan Alberson and Jake Mensel. If you like the show, please don't forget to rate and review in the app of your choice. And if you're interested in more great content, including articles and other podcasts, please visit warhornmedia.com.